Welcome to the very first episode of Body Found, an intimate conversation about sex, love, health, and relationships. We are your hosts, Regina. And this is Josephine. We are so excited to begin sharing and to be in dialogue with everyone through this podcast. For the very first episode, we would like to give you a bit of an introduction to our story as sisters and how we came to creating Body Found. So in 2016, my sister and I self-published a book of poetry and musings entitled Body Found, which was meant to be a raw and honest way of talking about sex, love, and relationships. After its initial success, both of us felt drawn to create more around Body Found and to really grow it as a platform. With Body Found, we wanted to create a sacred space to share our truths, fears, questions, and also just to explore everything we always wanted to talk about, but maybe felt too vulnerable doing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very personal project, and I think I speak for the, very, um, for the both of us when I say it's important we have a space to be able to discuss things free from judgment, free from embarrassment, and free from guilt. So we spent a large chunk of our childhood in Jakarta, Indonesia, which is um, a country that's home to the largest Muslim population. Uh, We were born and raised in Jakarta in a very Christian family. Our family and our environment definitely hid and avoided discussing sex as well as the sexual body. I specify the sexual body because... In our family, we were very open in discussing the faults in each other's bodies. You know, they tell you that you were too skinny or mm-hmm. too fat or you were too pimply or mm-hmm. this or that. Mm-hmm. And I remember both parents and grandparents being comfortable walking around the house naked. However, our mom talks about the vagina as being dirty Yeah, I mean, she, you know, she struggles to recognize the beauty of our sexual bodies or just of our bodies um, as something that's to be celebrated. And um, a few years ago, I started using menstrual cups as a way to, you know, um, instead of pads or tampons, I wanted to try menstrual cups out. And I remember um, taking my menstrual cup out and she walking in on me in the bathroom and she was absolutely horrified she was in a way disgusted that i would even um entertain the idea of sticking my fingers in my vagina to take out that cup and you know have to see the blood and you know have to wash it and then put it back in to her that was just horrifying and she didn't know why i would want to do something like that and I remember just doing that and to this day when she walks in on me during my period and I have my menstrual cup and you know she she watches me taking it take it out she she squirms and and I, I think, can so see her doing that too yeah and you know growing up um and even today sex and our sexual bodies are sort of non-topics in our household um both our parents can't even really say the word sex or, you know, sexuality without giggling. Yeah, definitely. And I think to even highlight the extent that the extent that sex was a non-topic in our family and culture, um, our mom got pregnant at 19. And I remember her saying, you know, sex ed wasn't offered in school and there weren't really any other resources available to her that, you know, she could learn safety and Mm -hmm. just basic knowledge about the body. And so essentially when she was a teenager, her then boyfriend and her were having sex because obviously it felt good, but they didn't really understand what they were doing, nor did they understand the consequences of having sex you know, pregnancies, STIs, and all sorts of things that can mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But of course, it all became clear later on when she found out that she was expecting a child. So, you know, surprise, she gave birth to her older sister when she was 19. And um, eventually she met our dad. They got married, had three more kids. And then we all moved to Canada in the year 2000. So all of a sudden, we went from this Indonesian childhood, seeing sex and hearing about it very hushed-hushed and on TV, thanks to Western media, you know, Spice Girls, Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, Ricky Martin, and all these music videos and movies that were very explicit in selling you sex. But at the same time, we came from this background where we sort of understood this sexuality thing, but we didn't understand sex and we never talked about it openly. So I don't know about you, but I don't think I really understood these feelings I began to develop whenever I saw the images um, on TV. And, you know, so we moved from this very hush-hush childhood. No one talked about sex. No one was comfortable even mentioning body parts in Indonesia and to a clearly Western and very open, what what we thought at the time was very open um, environment in Vancouver, Canada, where there were school counselors, teachers, and other educators who taught us about sex. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as our as our surroundings began to change and, you know, we had we went to schools where um, we received sex ed. um, I found it very difficult because personally for me, you know, you exactly what you said, we were in this very Western setting. But then our parents, to an extent, were were still very hush hush about sex and bodies and, you know, all these things. And they didn't really talk about it. So for me, it's sort of um, gave rise to an internal conflict, I would have to say, mm-hmm. where outside or, um, yeah, outside with my friends and and peers, certain sort of, maybe not, we didn't talk about sex, obviously, but these things felt normal or they were normalized in some aspects mm-hmm. as children, even though we didn't explicitly talk about it, you know, like watching Britney Spears on on TV or, or watching certain movies and, and things, you had very... Um, sexual scenes even though they weren't explicitly sexual like they weren't having sex or something but it was okay it was normalized flaunting the body and things like that I remember even I remember when um, so I was in grade three when we moved to Canada and at school you know we were I think no we weren't in middle school yet in I think in Burnaby the school was set up so that it was grade one to grade seven yeah and there was no middle school. And then high school was grade eight to grade 12. Mm-hmm. So I remember being in grade three and we had the annual talent show. And that was the year when Destiny's Child's Survivor was a big hit. So all the cool girls in my school all did a dance number to Survivor. You know, they got up in the kind of army uniform, the color different like pink or blue right. camouflage pants and the bandana tops, like the really slutty. So very like scandalous. You know, like, clad. yeah, exactly. And these were, you know, great girls in grade seven. And me, I was like grade three, so young and naive, moving to Canada, like, oh my God, what are these girls doing? They were up on stage, just super comfortable with their bodies. And they were owning it. You know, they were dancing to Destiny's Childs and popping and locking it. And I don't even know all of these moves that you know, they just learned in the bedroom and decided to perform. And I was shocked. I was um, kind of uncomfortable because we were never yeah. allowed to be this expressive and flaunting our bodies around like that. Yeah, for sure. And I think, it, you know, that's exactly sort of this internal conflict I'm talking about because, you know, in the outside sort of public realm in schools and everyday life you know yeah mostly in school I guess we were exposed to such things Mm -hmm. girls getting up on stage dancing to 
uh, Destiny's Child and, you know, being very scantily clad and being very confident about their bodies. But then at home, um, our parents sort of um, try to keep us away from uh, that Western. Yeah, yeah, from that open Western, maybe confident sort of um, personalities or something. And they didn't want us, you know, they always said, you know, don't become too white. You're still Indonesian and yeah. and you need to remember that you're still at heart Indonesian. But, you know, that's very difficult to maintain when every everything around you is telling you that this is OK and yeah. this is normal. This is exactly. Yeah, we weren't in Indonesia anymore. And though we were Indonesians and our parents wanted us to remain culturally Indonesian, think that's very hard to do and you know in hindsight uh I always think if they had wanted us to remain Indonesian they should have you know stayed in Indonesia and of course I'm so grateful that yeah we didn't but yeah no and yeah again like we are I think I speak for the both of us when I say we're both very grateful that we they you know they decided to move to Canada and give us this sort of new life in Canada um but I don't think they expected us to sort of quickly adopt the Western culture and the Western way of life as we did. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, we were very young. Like I was in grade three. So I was, what, eight Mm -hmm. years old? You would have been six. I was six. Yeah. Um, It's, I guess, in the same way that kids absorb languages like sponges. We absorb the culture in the same breakneck speed. You know, Yeah, for sure. We didn't have very many Indonesian friends. And I think at the school, there were a handful of Asian students, but I don't really remember um, them being any more conservative than we were. You know, Asians do tend to be more conservative, but I don't remember. I think all my friends, all my Asian friends that I had made at the school in Canada were already quite uh, whitewashed as yeah, you say <laughs> yeah for sure yeah yeah and I think you know that sort of that was difficult for our parents I guess to watch as we slowly um, became more Canadian and slowly um, perhaps drifted away from our Indonesian culture and Indonesian way of thinking mm-hmm, definitely and just to go back to, you know, your use of menstrual cups, I remember when I got my period and I did remember running to my mom and asking her, you know, oh, my gosh, mom, I got my period. What do I do? And, you know, I think she gave me a pad right away. And at school, though, all my girlfriends who did have their periods tended to use tampons. And I wondered why my mom didn't give me tampons. Mm mm-hmm. And um, I remember asking her to buy me tampons instead of pads because I wanted to try a tampon because all my friends at school were using tampons. And um, I remember mom, she was just kind of very dismissive about the idea. And I kept pressing her, you know, as a child does, you keep pressing your parents until they kind of cave in. And she sort of made this remark that she didn't, fully say it out loud to me but basically the gist is that if I used a tampon I would somehow lose my virginity yeah no I think I think that's actually one reason why she doesn't understand why I use a menstrual cup because she thinks it's like yeah like something to do with virginity and being like breaking your hymen yeah breaking my hymen or if I stick something up there up my vagina it's unnatural yeah it's unnatural or it's you know, I'm somehow not a virgin anymore if I stick a menstrual cup up there. But I think a lot of it also is this, she's this whiteness as well. The Westerners use tampons. Yeah. We don't. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And it's, um, and I think for her, it's, you know, handling from at least for menstrual cups, um, it's handling all that blood. I mean, it's, it's having to reach in and then, you know, have a cup, this small cup of blood and then having to, clean that and and as we said our mom sometimes sees our the vagina men- the vi- is vagina dirty. is dirty mm-hmm. so she would have a difficult time understanding why anyone would choose to go this route
So how did you navigate your early sexual experiences or early sexuality? Mm, well, for me, I was always sexually curious and I started masturbating early on before really understanding why it was so pleasurable. Mm. Um, but I always did it in secret because somehow I knew and felt deep down that I couldn't ask anyone about it. Yeah. You know, we kind of just always did it in the dark. And just from growing up, I felt that no one talked about sex, but I saw it everywhere again on TV, like we discussed earlier. It was everywhere in media and movies and all of the pop culture that we looked up to and that we were constantly surrounded by was always there in lyrics and everything. But um, I just sort of had this feeling, you know, just based on the way that mom, our mom, looked at the body and was very squeamish about it, that I sort of understood that somehow sex was disgusting. Mm -hmm. And so that prevented me right off the bat from asking any questions, even even if it was out of pure intellectual curiosity. Right. I already understood that I shouldn't be asking these things because even an intellectual question about sex was dirty. Like there, there there's no way you could have had um, curiosity about sex that wasn't sinful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I felt like that, too. I mean, um for me, at least, I also I think I started masturbating very early on. Not exactly what you were saying, not really understanding what it was that I was doing, but I knew it felt good. So it was, you know, as a kid, you you try to seek out what feels good to you, even if you don't understand it. And mm-hmm. you have very sort of perhaps um, not fully formed understanding of what it is you're doing. But because it feels good, it feels good. <laughs> you like it. it. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it. And I remember actually um yeah, exactly going, having that those same um, thoughts as you did. But also, I think um, our religious background, or at least our parents' sort of religious um, mindset, made, uh, really conflicted me. It really, like, I had such an internal conflict um, in terms of sex and masturbation. But uh, did you, I mean, you said... You didn't really understand what it was, so how could you have been conflicted if you, or was it later on? No, I remember, like, if I look back, I have some early journal entries, because I started journaling maybe grade three or grade two, Mm -hmm. and I remember, like, understanding that this was something... That, that was, was when we already moved to Canada. Yeah. So you learned from somebody else that it was probably masturbation. Yeah. So I think pleasure. we probably mm-hmm. had it in sex ed or something. And, you know, you know, like the grade two, three teachers like, yeah, sometimes little boys and girls touch themselves and it feels good. And it, this is called masturbation. So I guess in that way, I understood what it was. But, you know, at a very elementary level. And um, I think I just somehow linked it to sex and then linking sex to sin was very easy because in our household again as you said sex was sort of this like taboo sinful topic to Mm -hmm. broach and yeah like a lot of my childhood I was so conflicted with um feelings of guilt and shame because I masturbated Mm -hmm. and feeling I was unholy or and that I was worthless and that um that I had to constantly repent or something. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, mean, I definitely had that same guilty feelings, you know. Um, I don't think it was our parents who explicitly told us that masturbation was bad. No, I don't think so. But, you know, from church and mm-hmm. just everything around us that was religious, I think there was this message of sex equals pleasure, pleasure equals sin. Yeah. And what we were experiencing i think we when we masturbated we understood that it was pleasurable yeah. therefore we were somehow dirty mm-hmm. and sinful and yeah i think that sense of um that i had to repent or something all the time i felt that way too because there were moments when i became more aware of what it was what it 
like when I was masturbating, I also even got this crazy idea that, you know, if you masturbate, you're somehow like gonna die right away and go to hell. Okay, I didn't, yeah, I thought actually, since I masturbated, I was no longer a virgin. Mm, So, you know, like, um, we, I think, I'm sure we went to the same stuff. Like we went to these like girl retreats or whatever from church. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what they were really like conferences for women or young girls. I don't remember those. No. Okay. Well, I went to one and I remember one of the pastors, you know, saying like, if you feel like you've, you're unwhole or you've, you've sinned against God. And basically the whole idea was like, you're repenting because you had sex, like in, in more poetic ways that was what the pastor was essentially saying and I remember at like 13 or even younger actually thinking in my head oh my god I need to I need to do this because I'm no longer a virgin but obviously like yeah I don't know it was and I remember like praying so hard to you know have God take these urges away from me oh yeah yeah, yeah. and crying because I felt so like guilty and ashamed mm-hmm. that I found pleasure in my own body. Yeah, I definitely felt that too. Because for me, what was worse, I wanted to masturbate all the time. There was oh a yeah, point, me too. Yeah, and I'm sure we all go through that when we first discover masturbation. And maybe not, maybe not everybody, but you know, there are some people whose sexual urges come fully to being much earlier, and um, it happens to be a very robust. Yeah. sense of sexual um, want and mm-hmm. I remember just like I could spend a whole day masturbating and I remember just like at night just feeling so so guilty and yeah going through the prayers and asking God to please forgive me for what I've done because I can't help myself mm-hmm. I couldn't help myself I wanted to stop but my body like my hand would just go there on its own or something, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, and I think it was, it was on top of that crazy sexual urge I had, you know, wanted to masturbate all the time. I also was boy crazy. So I was always in love with a new boy and fantasizing, kissing him or all of this kind of stuff. But I had no one to talk to about it. I, I don't think at that point us sisters were very open to no. one another. I, I think I didn't really have really good girlfriends just yet because that was when, you know, we had moved to Canada. Then two years later, we moved to a brand new city in Canada and we had to restart our friend group all over again. And, you know, then you go to middle school and everything changes again. So in a short time period there was so much commotion and uprooting. I didn't have time to make good girlfriends Mm -hmm. that I could confide in. And um, definitely I never talked to mom about, you know, first kiss or the crushes I had or even weird things I didn't understand that was happening to my body. I didn't, you know, I never mentioned to her if I worried that my boobs weren't growing as fast as the other girls or all that kind of stuff. These were all serious questions I had and I seriously thought there was something wrong with me because, you know, there wasn't, like, I guess, a motherly figure or something like that who could have reassured me that everyone goes through things at different times and different stages and it's okay, my body's normal. Yeah. I don't know how you felt about that yeah I mean you know for me I mean I hit puberty very early yes you did you remember like I think I started growing boobs maybe like grade three grade three grade four very early um I got my period when I was in grade five yeah again very early um and yeah you know when you say like there was no one to you for you to turn to to talk about all these sort of questions about your body about um, about puberty, essentially, I definitely felt like that too. I felt very isolated, and if anything, I, I actually felt like my body was cursing me, and that. Um, Why was your body cursing you? 
Well, because I wasn't, I, I was still a child and my body was growing up. Mm. and sexualizing yeah right and the world or society and even our parents and in in some regards sexualize my body very quickly i don't know if you remember no i remember they always were on to you about your big boobs as if it was your fault that they got too big yeah and you know like when i went to the beach my parents would be like cover up so inappropriate or when i wore a tank top i was like grade four you know you're what 10 maybe a little older 12 maybe in grade four i don't know like older nine or ten yeah okay yeah you're not okay yeah whatever yeah like that age and going to the beach or just like you know on you're a summer's day yeah. yeah summer's day wearing a tank top like the rest of your friends but because suddenly you have boobs you're like a slut or something or you're trying to get men's yeah. attention or people's yeah, yeah. attention but that was never on my mind it was just something i like to wear and i like to wear tank tops because my friends were all wearing tank tops and it's a hot summer day and and I remember, you know, that was really hard for me to to navigate. That was really hard to go through because the person or the people that I wanted to turn to were the very people that shamed you, that shamed me and that told me that my body was um, a sin, essentially. Yeah. So that was very difficult. And and then, you know, um, not really having other friends to turn to because no one else really had breasts at this age and Mm -hmm. no one else had their period at this age so I went through it relatively alone and um I think I turned to some of my elementary school teachers um who saw that I was hitting puberty very early and who addressed it um with me very quickly and and started to sort of give me resources and and talk to me about these things but again it wasn't you know they weren't there for me all the time and there were questions that I was uncomfortable with um question I was uncomfortable asking them so that wasn't also a very like um whole relationship let's say yeah and I suppose also I can imagine you know our home and our parents taught us that the body was this way and at home there's always this divide of home and public life where mm-hmm. at home our bodies were shameful things that brought us sin. And at the same time, when we went to school and we tried to understand the kind of reasoning, you know, when we go to sex ed and stuff, we oftentimes the religious aspect is, you know, for a good reason, left out um, of the sex ed. But... I can't, you know, I didn't have to go through the big boobs kind of, my body was very much boy-like and wiry and, you know, I was very thin and um, so I was, I didn't go through that, but I do remember you and our older sister, Jessica, going through that, that, you know, you were not allowed to wear tank tops because you were, you know, trying to attract yeah. men's attention yeah. with your breasts and stuff like that. But, you know, you were nine when you had boobs and you didn't understand what was happening to your body and you didn't see yourself as a sexual being trying to attract other sexually aware people it was just this is what I want to wear yeah for sure that was I think I mean and for me that took a very long time to overcome and as a kid I think I didn't really understand what was going on there like I I just you know I took mom and dad's word as sort of truth exactly so for me then i internalized that without questioning them and so when they said you know you got to cover up because you're being too sexual i mean they didn't use those words but they just said cover up it's inappropriate yeah they they, i I remember you know in indonesian they'd say like cover up your boobs are out everywhere yeah but you know you'd be wearing a tank top and your chest is going to show but it's not like you were wearing a very deep v-neck yeah no years old exactly yeah and so i just took that to heart and i just thought okay that means anything i wear anything i do with my body given the way it is you know i have very sizable chest i guess and you know whatever i did it would always be a sin yeah it was always going to be inappropriate yeah, and I guess, see, that's where I, what I was kind of trying to uh, lead into just two seconds ago, that our parents were supposed to be our 
guide. Mm-hmm. You know, they were the ones guiding us in life, and they told us one thing about sex and our bodies. Well, they didn't say anything about sex, but they had a lot of things to say about our bodies. You know, yeah. Whereas at school, we learned something completely different, and yet you were still not comfortable asking the questions to your teachers when you did have questions throughout puberty. Yeah. You know, like you still felt this shame because you internalized it already, even yeah. though the in school and stuff, the sex ed never mentioned shame. You already had this internalized feeling of guilt and shame about your boobs, about getting your period early on. And yeah, I mean, it, it must have been harder because at least for me, I did have my friends who kind of more or less got their period around the same time as I did. So I had them to sort of ask questions that I didn't feel comfortable asking our mom mm-hmm. about. And, you know, there's also Cosmopolitan. And we were lucky enough that we had the Internet already. Yeah. Because I remember I, I don't know if I, I guess I would have Googled or, you know, ask MSN Jeeves. search or, or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Askjeeves.com. Like I utilized the Internet a lot because there were very early um sort of blogs or forums i guess Mm -hmm. where girls would just have all these random questions and somebody i don't it wasn't even like um a supervision like an adult answered those questions i don't think so they were just forum boards where we banded together and you know there were some girls whose parents were more informative and taught them about sex ed and they'd come onto these boards with all the answers yeah yeah, and, you know, yeah, definitely our upbringing and home environment didn't encourage sexual curiosity. So safety and health in regards to sex also wasn't an issue. Yeah, it was very... Our parents remained silent on those topics. Exactly. I think they... Again, it was this divide of, you know, they grew up in Indonesia where they didn't have to worry about it because sex ed was just not talked about. Sex wasn't spoken. But it was like they expected us to be the same way. But, you know, we were in Canada now and things were different. Mm -hmm. And the more they kept silent, the more we had to find our own resources and learn um, from others and from you know, friends and teachers and stuff. But, um, yeah, when I had my first relationship in high school and when I had other relationships with boys in university, I carried this shame and guilt in me, mm-hmm. you know, in regards to my sexuality. I liked to have sex. I liked sex a lot, actually. But I could never say that. And it didn't help that, you know, my first real boyfriend was a guy from church. And, um, you know, he was taught the same things as I was. So we both were just guilty all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it took me a really, really, really long time to be okay with wanting pleasure. And to be okay with how much pleasure I wanted. Yeah, I I think, you know, we were sort of made not to talk about our sexuality or our um our liking of sex or or anything really related to sex. Like that includes, you know, our periods, our puberty and all of that. Um and I think you know, we it got to the point where we just became we became silent but then also very self-critical of ourselves mm-hmm. where because we had no one to reassure us, no one to sort of teach us otherwise, we became very self-critical about, you know, as you said, it took you a really long time to um, be okay with yourself wanting to have sex or liking sex. And I think that sort of perhaps grew out of this sort of inability to talk about it in an informative way with anyone Yeah, we didn't have the tools to... We were not ever given the tools to be able to communicate properly about sex and our sexuality. 
Yeah, and you know, as I said earlier, um, for me, it was just a lot of times I just felt guilty. I just felt guilty and ashamed of my body. It didn't matter if I was I wasn't you know I I wasn't having sex when I was in high school or even in university. Really, I was you know I remained a virgin until I was twenty one. But even prior to that. I wasn't doing anything technically sinful, but I just felt really ashamed and guilty and embarrassed of my body. Well, yeah, especially because yeah. of you, you always had the bigger breasts, so even yeah. just walking around was like a sin for you because yeah. you were a walking like siren. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Know? And so I was just, I guess for me, I just, I needed to, I guess for me to cope with that, I kind of became very, um, not reclusive, but very introspective and I just didn't want to, you know, go out and meet boys because I, I thought that would add to my sin or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, also, even I remember when you were in middle school and the first few years of high school, I remember distinctively you dressing in baggy, baggy T-shirts and hoodies. Yeah. Like very tomboy. You really wanted to erase your femininity. Oh, for like, sure. I, I, I think you were just so... Um, traumatized by the way our parents always pointed out your breasts as if that was the first thing that the world would see yeah. of you yeah. and you covered up and I would say that it wasn't until maybe what would you say three four years ago that you were like you know what I'm gonna wear t-shirts with v-necks again yeah yeah no for sure and you know speaking on that as well like me wearing baggy clothes it I also actually would buy very sort of tight sports bras yes I remember just that. to flatten out my chest because I just I felt like they were the thing that kept me from being a good person your boobs yeah my breasts yeah. my boobs yeah. yeah that like by having boobs I would never become a good person mm-hmm. which is ridiculous you know like saying this now I find like I no, but we yeah. have that Christian guilt and it's yeah. like that you know chastity belt or like you know you wear the bra because you know that you internalize this understanding that your body was bringing sin and shame Mm -hmm. yeah and I mean I mean for you you sort of yeah we had very different experiences of puberty and then of being sexually active and I think we it's safe to say that you were sexually active very early on yeah um but you know and, and you still carried a lot of guilt um, you said, so when do you think you sort of said to yourself, okay, like enough, okay, maybe not okay enough, but to let yourself, to forgive yourself and to allow yourself to like sex or uh, own the fact that you are a sexual being and that you're not just um, this sort of, you know, holy temple, but you're essentially human and that you also want to have pleasure and and rece- um, give and receive pleasure without all that shame and guilt? You know, it took a really long time because when I got to my teen years, I had a boyfriend and it was a long-term relationship and everything like that. And... Then I had another long-term relationship. So I was more or less in a relationship with somebody and f- always feeling guilty mm. about it. Okay. But then in 2014, I moved to Paris, France for a university exchange and I never left. And it's not like I moved to Paris then I started having sex with a lot of Frenchmen or something like that <laughs> and went wild. No, I was actually still in a relationship when I moved here. But it was just this freedom that I had finally, this freedom that I didn't have expectations. People didn't look at me and say, oh, it's Regina. This is so-and-so's daughter. She goes to this church or she used to go to this church. She goes to this university. You know, when you're at home with close friends and loved ones, they understand you and see you through one prism and you're kind of stuck in that prism for sure and you act that rollout whereas i suddenly had this opportunity in a new country to reinvent myself and that was the most liberating thing for me because i could breathe for the first time and i could 
explore and figure myself out. And I felt like I could break free from everything I internalized about my sexuality. I just finally felt okay with wanting to receive and also to give pleasure Mm. and to not feel guilty about these desires and bodily urges and you know again I wasn't having sex with a bunch of people it was just the environment I was learning so much I was going to art museums meeting really interesting people that Mm -hmm. were way older than I was and hearing their stories and finally I could just be frank and um All of these changes definitely showed in my writing. So like you, I think it was actually our mom that gave us all our first journal, like around the same time. Like she Mm. gifted us all that same journal with Uh, the three girls on the front, like purple and stuff. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And ever since then, like I have always journaled and written, you know, really probably shitty poems and grade three and four Rose about red yeah, you know, really silly yeah. things but eventually you know I, I still kept that up and when I moved to Paris I really was writing a lot more and my writing changed because it was becoming more honest mm-hmm. and especially in my poetry at that time right before I moved to Paris I had stopped writing poetry and like songs and stuff like that. I was just kind of stuck, actually. I remember I was in a few creative writing classes in university right before I moved to Paris. And the comments that the TAs had for me was always, this doesn't have a voice, Hmm. you know? But then I, one of the last things I wrote was a, a screenplay, something I'd never done before. But I was like, my poetry sucks, my short writing uh, short story writing sucks and long form sucks I gotta try something new and I remember I wrote this uh, screenplay and it was about a girl in a long term relationship who was very torn about her sexuality ding ding and she fell in love with a woman like Mm. you know that wasn't a true story but in many ways it was me trying to manifest early on this frustration I had with being caged in with my sexuality and urges and feeling the guilt And um, from that, I think I started writing more and more sexually explicit poems or poems that evoked desire and talked about these things quite frankly and openly. And it felt good. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, a year later, I moved to Uppsala in Sweden. Um, A year after I moved to Paris, right? Yeah, Yeah. after you moved, like, exactly, I guess, a year after, also with uh, as a university exchange student and I sort of underwent a similar thing I think exactly like I again I I, I was still the same person when when I moved to Uppsala I was you know I made new friends and I started you know I had more freedom to just hang out with them when I wanted to I know that sounds really weird. Like, of course, you have, I mean, back home, I also had the freedom to hang out when I wanted to. But I think it was this sort of ability to, yeah, uh, I'll just say, like, ability to distance myself from the person I was back in Canada. Um, Again, like you, I wasn't suddenly this new person, like, doing all these crazy things, having sex or, like, going to crazy parties every night. But I was just able to be myself and not worry about what an old-time friend would have to say or my parents, my siblings even, or, you know, people that, acquaintances. They did, mm-hmm. All the people that I met in Uppsala didn't know me before. So in a way, I could, I could reinvent myself or show parts of me that I wasn't able to in Vancouver. I was yeah. able to suddenly voice these different aspects of my personality. Um, you know, I was able to be, I don't know, it, even in the little things, like I was able to throw dinner parties with my friends in my in my flat and, and host them and have these great discussions and and learn about their experiences and and, you know, them being curious about me and me being curious about them and having this sort of 
the exchanges that was yeah. important right yeah mm-hmm. for sure and sometimes i'm not saying that every interaction i had was super meaningful and enlightening but i think it was just that the people i met um while being abroad in, in sweden they all were curious in some way and i think that rubbed off on me yeah and yeah i guess to go back like when i said to you vent your way of describing is actually much more apt in that you are now it's not about reinventing and suddenly like you're this whole new person yeah. it's suddenly you can show a different side of you you were never able to before mm-hmm. because people ask you about these sides of you you know like these new strangers they don't know you they don't have preconceived notions of who you are so they ask you more questions deeper questions about you that you ultimately are forced to sort of reflect upon if you've never thought about those things before yeah and uh you have to give an answer well yeah. you don't but you know but it makes it, you think it makes you think and you know if even if you don't give them an answer it makes you think and then you go home thinking about it and you realize ah yeah this is a part of me that i've suppressed and a lot of my friends that i i i'm still very close friends with them and the reason why we're so close i think is because there's this sort of air of non-judgment an air of um also not expecting that you know they don't ever expect me to behave in one way and if that makes sense mm-hmm. like there's not this like but but you're Josephine you, you shouldn't do that exactly mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing that what are you doing um i don't know like whatever whatever it is i'm doing i can't even think of an example it's just anything i tell them is something a piece of me that i want to share with them and they're almost like they're grateful mm-hmm. that i want to share this part of me this yeah. unknown part of me and and same goes for them when they tell me something that i feel like oh you've never shared this before to me i'm not it, there's this feeling of non-judgment non-expectation and it's a part of you that i just haven't discovered yet and i think that was very important for me and it helped me cultivate my writing in a way that i was more honest same as you but i i guess for me i don't know how it was for you i felt more honest and you know i would journal i would journal almost every day um talking about my feelings and 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 my wants and my goals and my needs and i found myself writing i didn't really write a lot of poetry but i wrote a lot of reflective um journal entries and i found myself being very honest and very mm-hmm. able to say directly to myself like this is what you want yeah. you know and being able to say this is why you're like this or or this is you know this is a characteristic of you and you know this and now be frank about it and confront this part of you that you've never been able to before um and do you think that it's funny cuz you know we both started journaling quite early on mm-hmm. but do you think that prior to this move you were still filtering yourself although the journal you know was meant just for you do you think you were still filtering yourself yeah i think you know maybe not 100% but i think there were certain things that i was afraid of admitting um like i remember you know when i was younger going back to masturbating but when i was younger and i would write about mass myself masturbating i wouldn't even call it masturbation i would just call it I was just like it was an unnamed thing. But you wouldn't write about it. I would I, w- I wouldn't write about it like what I was doing, but it would just be like it was very much like oh, forgive me God like for this sin. Even though like I myself didn't really feel like you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I was filtering myself in that way and that my journal was a place for me to get my feelings out, but sometimes I found myself filtering them because mm-hmm. you felt god was still watching you yeah or something like he was reading my journal entries or if that someone were to read it they would heavily judge me and so i found myself filtering myself a bit more but you know after moving and after moving to sweden and being able to essentially be by myself and be myself i was able to get rid of that filter and just write about myself more honestly mm-hmm. and yeah we definitely started exchanging our writing a lot when we were abroad and i mean for me you were always the only person i was comfortable with sharing my writing with just because you're the only other person i knew who wrote yeah, all the time yeah actually it's true yeah and um we realized that these texts we were exchanging had a common theme and it was like they were speaking to one another like we were both going through very similar 
um, transformations and yeah. we were opening up to our sexuality. You know, again, it wasn't that we were having sex with any one like at random, but it was we became um, we were able to talk about our sexuality, frankly, and the pieces we wrote. It was like they were having a conversation with one another and they were really complimentary. So that's when we decided to compile these works into a book, into Body Found. You know, we wanted to share our story. We thought we had so many feelings and so much cooped up, pent up emotions that we were unable to talk about. And we couldn't have been the only ones feeling all those feelings. And if we felt them so strongly, surely there were other women out there with similar experiences. So we gave birth to Body Found, the book. And, you know, we self-published the book and within a month I sold out of the first 100 um, first edition mm-hmm. due to just, you know, friends buying it who supported us and a local um, art bookstore here in Paris have hosting a launch party and selling our books both of us felt drawn to create more around Body Found and to grow a community around it and to really grow it as a platform. Yeah, so that's how we got here today, recording the first ever Body Found podcast. With Body Found, we want to create a sacred space to share our truths, fears, questions, and also just to explore everything we always wanted to talk about, but maybe felt too vulnerable or embarrassed to do so. So we hope you'll tune in and join us on this journey. Um, next up on Body Found, we thought it would be apt to start at the beginning. And so we'll be spending the next few episodes discussing what it means to be a virgin. We're calling this the Virginity Series. So please have a listen, as we'll also be sharing our very different experiences of losing our virginity. Yes, can't wait to share that <laughs> with you guys. Thank you so much for listening again to our very first episode of Body Found. We are your hosts, Regina and Josephine. See you next time.